Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Welcome back into the show. Kale Berger here with you on a Tuesday night. Big victory for the Pitt basketball team last night. They won by 48 over North Carolina A&T in their season opener at the Pete. Oakland Zoo was rocking. Some new faces, and the biggest one of all showed out in Bub Carrington with a triple-double in his college basketball debut. So when we talk Pitt basketball, there's only, of course, one man to go to. That is George Michalowski of Pittsburgh Sports Now. George, how we doing, brother? Thanks for coming on the show. How's it going, Kale? Appreciate you having me on as always, man. It was a, uh, a special performance last night at the Pete. Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, it is good to talk to you. Um, we haven't, I think, had you on the air, of course, since last basketball season. So it feels good that college basketball is back. Um, you know, no one follows this program more closely than you. Uh, when you saw the performance last night from from Bub Carrington, you know, first of all, obviously it had to be kind of a surprise to all of us, but, you know, what has impressed you most about that first debut for him and, and in scouting him and getting him to pit, you know, what did you think do you like the most about his game that he was capable of something like last night? Right, so I actually watched Bub Carrington last winter in Baltimore and in his senior, senior season of high school hoops, he was playing down in Baltimore against Mount St. Joseph, they had like four or five D1 prospects. And he had 18 points, seven rebounds, and I think six assists. So pretty similar stat line, pretty similar game. Um, and I look at him last night, and he looks exactly like he did against high school competition. Uh, all due respect to North Carolina A&T, they're one of, going to be one of the worst teams uh, you know, in college basketball this season. They're rebuilding with a new coach. But he was so comfortable last night. Um, I agreed with Capel and that the thing that, I was most impressed with was his patience, his ability to let the game come to him. I know that's cliche, but you watched him and you would have thought he was a senior. He, he looked like he was handling the ball. He was making the right passes. He was taking the right shots. He wasn't forcing anything. So that was definitely what I was most impressed with. But then, you know, if you've never seen him play before, this kid's special. He's got a great jump shot. He looks like a pro. You know, he's a six-five point guard. That's professional basketball size. And the game that he played last night, you know, showed that he can be a pro. I think, obviously, we don't want to overreact to one game, but yeah. he made all of the right plays. I think what really stuck out to me was just how nonchalant it all was for him. You know, it, it seemed like the, not the easiest triple-double, but, like, you look up and you're like, oh, he has 18 points? Like, he's also the leading scorer? How did he get all these rebounds? How did he get all these assists? It just came so easy to him last night. And that's, like we said, you know, we can put it into context. North Carolina A&T all due respect, not a very good team, but that's still your first ever college basketball game. And to be able to come out and do that, I mean, that speaks volumes for me and, and really excites me about what he can do when the games get tougher. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, we saw against you, uh, Pitt Johnstown last week in the exhibition, and we tried not to overreact to that. He looked great. He looked so comfortable. And regardless you know, of the competition level so far, he's making plays that it looks like he can do against anyone. Um, you know, he elevates up for that jump shot, man, is, is mid-range, and he looks like a pro. Like I said, he had one shot yesterday. Um, first, he had the first four assists for Pitt. He had four assists in the first two, three minutes, yeah, which is unheard of. And then he goes down, his first shot is a fadeaway deep mid-range, too, uh, that looks so comfortable for him. And normally for a guard, you know, if you saw a guard on Pitt's teams over the last three years take that, that's a bad shot. Most coaches would say that's a bad shot. But for him, it looks like those shots are, you know, going to be few and far between, but good shots. You know, he can make those. So 
it was a overall special performance. I can't wait to watch him this season. And the way that he fits in with Pitt's lineup, man, it's, it's a really talented group this year. Yeah, and, and that's actually a perfect segue into my next, my next uh, observation from last night is this roster seems so complimentary. And, and that's what I saw last night as well is through one game, it looks like all the pieces really fit well together. You know, you have all these experienced guys in the, in the front court who got all that time last year in the Diaz-Graham twins and Federico Federico. And then, you know, you have this new collection of, of guards in there with Blake Henson. But those guys look like they fit together pretty good as well. I, I really like the construction of this roster put together by Jeff Capel. Oh, yeah, and you, and you never know what you're going to get out of freshman guards in terms of nerves, in terms of readiness, in terms of skill. You, know, you can watch yeah. them play against high school kids, against AAU teams, but you never know what you're going to get. But the guards have looked like they fit in perfectly. And like you said, Ish Leggett comes in. He's a transfer from Rhode Island. Plenty of college experience. He redshirted a year there. He's been around the game. It was for a pretty rough team last year. Uh, but, you know, he's scored at a high level. He had three, four double-digit scoring games last year against high major opponents for Rhode Island. So you know that he can do it. He's going to bully you. He's going to take you to the rim. And then you have, obviously, you know what you're going to get with Blake Kinson. How about that? He starts the season with a logo three. And I know. Goes it's so it fitting. Was, uh, it, was, it was so fitting. And like you said, this team just seems to fit really well together. And then you've got the forwards, who I don't think people were talking enough about last night. Jorge Diaz-Graham yeah. was five for five, three for three on threes. Um, and then Guillermo, he was pretty solid, too. But then Federico, I thought he had one of the strongest games of anyone. He had a quiet 13 points, 10 rebounds, four blocks, I believe. Four blocks is, you know, that's an elite defensive game. He did his job perfectly, running the rim, rim to rim, um, finishing lobs. And with those guards, with their ability to pass the ball and look down low, look inside to him, they were throwing perfect lobs to him all night. It's only a good sign coming out of pit last night. Yeah, I, I really did like that game that I saw to Federico Federico, that he – he was looking to score. He was looking for those opportunities, and his teammates were finding him. And, you know, last year he did a lot of good things, but he was mainly a rim protector and rebounder. But the fact that you have that extra element of him being that, like you said, like uh, they can run the floor, uh, I, I think is really an, an advantage to this team, and offensively especially, that they can have different guys they can go to. And especially with Federico can add that as well. I think it's a whole new dynamic. I agree, and Capel said something similar to you last night, where last year, Federico, Capel thought he was one of the best bigs in the ACC defense-wise, and I did too. He's incredible on that end. He held, you know, Armando Baycott in that game at UNC, we all remember, to, yeah. uh, you know, a rough game. It was a huge win for Pitt on the road, kind of kick-started their run they went on, but this year, like last night, seeing him take nine field goal attempts, like that's a great sign for Pitt, and again, he did this last year. He had a strong non-conference run, but he looked so much more comfortable last night. He knows exactly what his role is, and that's to roll off screens, get to the basket, finish lobs, then on defense, protect the rim. So all good things on the pit front court last night. Um, you know, you had Will Jeffers get in there too a little bit. He, you know, played some solid defense. Um, and Blake Hinson obviously was Blake Hinson. We could see him explode for 30 any night. So all, all uh, positive, positive outlooks for Pitt coming out of the pit yesterday. Another uh, piece of news here today. Uh, that was, you know, kind of breaking news on the Pitt basketball beat was that uh, freshman wing Marlon Barnes Jr. is going to redshirt this year. Uh, you know, he came, comes from the same high school as John Hughley did, 6'6", 190 uh, pound wing out of Cleveland. What's the story there on on Marlon Barnes uh, sitting this year? 
Yeah, so I think it was a mutual decision. I think he was totally okay with it. Um, you know, it was, I think, a, a good decision. I think it was a good choice. He's 6'6", 190. I think he's going to want to put some more weight muscle on before he sees the floor for Pitt. Um, in addition to, you know, him, he's, he's a talented kid. He scored 13 points a game last year in high school. But he's a three-star recruit. He wasn't a recruit that really popped off the page by the time he was a senior. Um, but I do think he can be a really good piece for Pitt in the future. He looks super athletic. He's got a great frame. If you're six six as a wing, you can make it happen. You can, you, you know, you can get a good career going. And you know, you've seen Blake Hinton. He's a bigger dude at that similar height. He can be an effective wing. Marlon Barnes down the line. Um, but this year, you know, the wing room is just crowded. You've got Oray Diaz Graham. You got Will Jeffress. Um, you got Zach Austin, the transfer from High Point. And then Blake Hinton. He's playing the four, but that guy's always around the three point line. So if Barnes' plan was to come in and um, you know, play right away. I don't think he would have come here. I think he was aware of this situation. I think he's content with everything. Um, so I think it's a good decision for both Pitt and for Barnes. I'm pumped to see him, you know, over the next few years develop here. So the Panthers win by 48 last night. They're 1-0 on the season. Time to raise the banners. But in all seriousness, like, everyone's trying to see how they can carry over from last year, the momentum that they gained, the program was back, the Pete was back, all that kind of stuff. They went to the tournament. Everyone's looking to see if they can carry that over this year and continue that upward trajectory. You know, we are one game in the books, but what is your what is your kind of season outlook for the Panthers here, and, and what are your expectations for them in this 23-24 season? Yeah, so I, I do think they can keep up what they built last year. I think last year was obviously, you know, a building season. They did the job. They got the job done. Going to the second round of the NCAA tournament, it's hard to do every single year. So that was a great, you know, framework season for them to lay the foundation. They had all those veterans. Their average age in their lineup last year was older than the OKC Thunder. So you're not going to have that this year. Um, and for that reason, I think they may take a little step down record-wise. But I expect this team, and I wrote this before the you know season started yesterday, I expect this team to be near fifth, sixth in the ACC at the end of the year. Uh, the ACC media preseason poll had them at ninth. I think they're thriving off of that mentality again. You've heard Blake Hinton already in the preseason saying, we know where they picked us. We know where they picked us. You know, we're using that as motivation. So I do think they take a little step back. I think they just have a lower floor that, you know, than last year's team. You knew what you were going to get with last year's guys, but, you know, they knew how to battle adversity. They knew how to come back from losses, and that's why they were so successful. So, this team's going to have to prove that it can do that to meet its potential. But, you know, it's it's always going to be tough for young guys to come in and compete for an NCAA tournament berth. I do think they have enough talent, surely, to do that, to meet what they did last year, and to keep the culture going. You know, I, I think Capel made a great point last night. He was talking about the culture that he's built. And I think, personally, I think it's finally where Capel wants it to be. We're in year six now. People complain about the transfer portal. Um you know, the casuals complain about the transfer portal. The casuals. People <laughs> show that he can go out and get proven veterans from the mid-major level yeah. and also, you know, keep some continuity in the program by bringing back guys like Hinton, like Federico. Uh, you know, like I said, Federico had a great game last night. Like the Twins, they're only going to develop here. Um, he's got a good recruiting class already. He had a commitment last week before the season even started from another big that looks like he could turn into something like Federico. Um, they've got Nelly Cummings' little brother coming in. So I think Capel has this program where he wants it right now. I think he's really confident in this group, even though there's a lot of new faces. Uh, George, before I let you run, in the larger 
world of college basketball, any big observations for you last night or hot takes for the season outside of Pittsburgh? I mean, you had to have seen that Michigan State game. Oh, game. we did. Yeah, we did. That was that was an incredible finish. What a great game. Um, and I think, you know, looking around the ACC, I think we've got the same teams toward the top, North Carolina, Duke, Miami, Virginia. I don't think there's going to be too much shockers, you know, near the top of this league. Um, but around the country, man, I, I don't know if I have any hot takes yet, but I was just watching Indiana play Florida Gulf Coast. They looked pretty rough. They had a single-digit lead over Florida Gulf Coast, so – um, plenty of upsets. I know everyone nationally seems to be complaining about the week schedule to start the season, but there have been some upsets so far. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a great season like last year. I don't know if we'll get a, another FAU making the final four, um, but I think it's, it's up in the air, man, with the portal, uh, as, as prevalent as it is with these high major schools, with these mid major schools and even low major schools getting a chance to bring in veteran talent. And with NIL in place, you know, you, you never know who's going to pop up out of nowhere. Like Pitt has Binghamton next on the schedule. Binghamton, you know, they've got uh, Pat Cash from Pine Richland. They've got Samir Torrance from Syracuse. they got a Syracuse transfer at Binghamton. When, when would that have happened in yeah. the past? Yeah. So they can shock some people. They were beating Northwestern yesterday, I think, halfway through the game. So there's going to be a lot of parity again in the sport this year, and I love it, man. I'm, I'm so excited to watch it take place. George Michaloski, read all of his coverage at pittsburghsportsnow.com and follow him on Twitter at CBB. George, appreciate the time as always, brother. We will uh, continue to do this throughout the season and uh, enjoy the game on uh, Friday night against Binghamton. Appreciate it, Kale. Have a good one, man. Thanks. You too. There he goes, George Michaloski. Uh, kind enough to join us here. Just great insight on Pitt basketball from the current team, to recruiting, to the transfer portal as well. Uh, George does a really great job covering this team. And, you know, he was speaking very glowingly about this team and a lot of optimism from him. And I got to say, I, I kind of feel that same way as well. Uh, we'll dive back into this pit hoops discussion coming up here next because I got some observations from that game last night as well. And I know there's North Carolina A&T but they scored 100 points, and their freshman point guard had a triple-double. We can at least take something from that game last night. Your calls on pit hoops coming up next at 412-928-9370, and if you want to call on the Steelers, you're still welcome to do that as well. It's Kale Berger on The Fan. The best place to hear about everything black and gold football before every home game is Black and Gold Game Day on 93.7 The Fan, presented by CGR Wholesale Roofing and Siding Supply Center. Three hours for every home game. We have you covered with all you need to know from around the league with our black and gold live from Rivers Casino Sportsbook. Brought to you by Tri-State Office Furniture and Saloni's Italian Bread. Speaking of black and gold, Bob from Somerset called in and he wants to talk about sharing his overall Steelers thoughts. Bob, what's up? Thanks for calling the show. Hey, Cal. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. What's up? Hey, I've been wanting to make this call for a for a while, and the part that that I don't hear talked about from morning till afternoon and and uh, throughout the day is the is the focus on urgency. We dissect this team. We dissect the Steelers down to where they come from. Where's their talent? Where's the support mechanism? Um, but we don't talk about the urgency. 
we've had we have had it stuffed down our throat for how many years? Where hey, we've had a, Tomlin's got another winning season, and when when we reward mediocrity and we set the bar at 500 or better, that is, it's human nature to live up to that expectation year in and year out. I guarantee you, Cal, if I walked into Mr. Rooney's office tomorrow and I said, here's the deal, I will pay the payroll for this team for the next five years, but here's the condition. We have to make the playoffs every year, and two of those five years we have to at least make the championship game. What have we done? We've hit him in his vital organ, and that's his wallet. He's making money at 500 or better. But if you, if you raise the bar to that level – now it rolls downhill. Now the expectation from the top all the way down to the bottom takes on a whole different dynamic. And now you're holding people accountable for not only the players, but the coaching, the support staff, all the way across the board. And, you know, there's no, there's no big urgency right now because we're above 500. There's no threat of, of a losing season, at least at this point, because we're, what, five and three. It's frustrating, you know, and, and my second point, Cal, is yep. with Kenny Pickett, and I agree with you 100%. Yes, we have to be patient with him if we're going from an analytical standpoint comparing to him his start to Ben Roethlisberger. But if you look at this, if this young man's football acumen, for lack of another word, if, if scouting was so good on that team where they are scouting the next defense up, the next week up, and they were preparing him at a level where he had a reasonable expectation of what he was going to face, I think he would perform better earlier on in the games. But to his credit, every one of these fourth quarter, these fourth quarter comebacks and where he comes alive – the young man has had the ability to read these defenses over one, two, three quarters, and then he says, boom, I got it. And he starts picking them apart, and he starts performing. I think it's preparation. I think this coaching staff is letting this young man down. Um, and I think if they did prepare him a little bit better and giving him a better expectation of what he's facing yeah. the next week up, that the results would be different. Yeah, Bob, I, I appreciate the call. Thank you. I mean, look, th this past week, and I, I do give Mike Tomlin some credit for this, there clearly was an emphasis on scripting plays that was talked about in the lead-up to the game. They also moved Matt Canada down to the field so we had more face-to-face -face contact with Kenny Pickett. And they won the football game. And, you know, they scored 20 points, and they didn't, Drop 40 on the Titans, but there were incremental better things about this offense. The scripting plays is something that's a little more head-scratching because, like, that should be a given. You should know your first 10 plays of a game and know what's going to work based on film study and this and that, and you should not have to be, like, digging through your pile of tricks to figure out what you're going to call. And they finally implemented a, a successful game script to start, and they went down and scored on their opening drive. I don't know that it's I don't know that it's Kenny finally settling into the game and figuring out what the defense is doing, uh, finally cracking the code of the coverage by the time the fourth quarter rolls around. I'm not sure what it is. 
What I do know is they continue to win. And we do need to be patient with him and let him and let him continue to grow and mature. But like I've continued to say on the show here tonight, it's it's almost supernatural. It, it's hard to pinpoint or explain why he is having the success that he is in the fourth quarter and not doing those things earlier on. And like, look, I don't think that it's a it's all on the preparation and the scouting and the game plan side of things of why they're not having the success early on in the games, or he isn't. A lot of the times, the plays are there to be made, and Kenny Pickett is missing the throws. Like, I'll, I'll continue to reiterate, I'm not going to be just some blind defender of Kenny Pickett. I can call a spade a spade. I can acknowledge, regardless of how big of a fan of the guy I am or how much I want him to succeed, I can acknowledge when he's not playing up to caliber or he is actively hurting the offense. And there have certainly been times this season and to this point in his career where he's missed throws, makeable throws, and they missed out on opportunities because he was not on target, he was not on point, not accurate with the football. And that is just something you want to, you're going to have to see him continue to work at and and hopefully he improves in those areas and then he gets to playing a full 60-minute game. He hasn't yet. But they are winning. So how much can we really complain? Let's give him time and and let him continue to figure out how this whole NFL thing works. Uh, Let's go to Ryan in the South Hills. He's got thoughts on the Steelers. Ryan, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? What's up? Hey, uh, I, I just wanted to, you know, I, I watch the Steelers every game, right, for a long time, you know, longer than I care to admit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, something something weird happened the other, uh, the, like, a weird sequence that's been bothering me, okay? So Kenny Pickett against Houston, he does that weird back shoulder move, right? And he gets hurt. Yeah. Roger Jones was the tackle, the left tackle at that point, and he had his guy blocked outside, right? He like he wasn't near the quarterback unless Kenny jerked and turned toward him, right? And then since he came back, Kenny did it again once, but Mitch did it. And then it got me thinking, when Mitch did it, Dan Moore was left tackle again. And Dan Moore on that play forced the defensive end like back behind the center. So that makes me think that that back shoulder turn is a feature, not a bug. You know? Yeah, well... Actually, I think what what I think it is more of is I think it's more of a bad habit from Kenny. And I actually think that he is, this is like coming from the bye week till now. I actually think he's taken that out of his game or actively worked to take that out of his game. It's it's kind of a, it's kind of a crutch, you know, like, hey, the pressure, the, the pressure is getting to me. I know I can go to this move. It's kind of muscle memory, but it's a, it's a bad habit because, I, I, you know, yeah. mainly because, yeah. mainly because when you reverse out, you're turning your back to the defense, and then when you finally turn around, you have to completely flip your upper body and your hips to be able to make a throw. And that's why you need to step up in the pocket, you know, roll out to your right, your dominant side. I think it's more, though, of just a bad habit from Kenny because he's done that a ton, and he has spun into some sacks, but he's also done that a lot and made some plays, but other times he's done that and, and not been able to make the play because of those things oh. I just mentioned. I think it's more of a, a bad habit yeah. thing than something in their offense. He's rolling against his 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 like he's rolling against his throwing arm, right? Like yeah, it's, it's a yeah. weird thing. But why did Mitch do it? That's the weird. I, thing I just think. Well, listen. Thinking, right? I mean, you can you can still do it. I mean, that is it is something that is taught. Have you seen other quarterbacks do that this season? I have, yeah. 
It just okay. depends on it just depends on how you are feeling the pressure and where the pressure is coming from. And and at sometimes the guys don't feel the pressure as well as they should, and they make a wrong decision. I think Kenny's problem is he's resorting to that one move as a default, as a bad habit, too much. But I actually think he's improved and taken that out of his game and started to step up in the pocket more. That is an area well, since the bye that I've I've liked some progress I've seen from him. Yeah, I hope so. I think I hope the offense has kind of realized like, hey, let's not do that again. You know, like there are better options than leaving him with that only option of just bail out and, you know, become a gunslinger, right? It's not Brett Favre, right? Yeah. So the other thing I, I just wanted to bring up, the, the Matt Canada offense and the Kenny Pickett, like the, the, the thing with the trend with how he gets better in the fourth quarter, I, I think like a lot of Matt Canada's offense is just information gathering. Like I, I do that when I play Madden, just, you know, send guys in motion just to see what the defense is, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and I don't think he's like trying to attack the way that other teams try to attack. And, you know, it's again, it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, no, I think it is definitely a very conservative uh, offense that they run. And, and you can't be, you can't be on the receiving end in the NFL as an offense. You have to be the aggressor and so many other offenses that are successful. They pinpoint one guy, they pinpoint a matchup, an area of the defense or the field that they want to exploit. And they do that. You know, Miami does well, a great job can. of that. Kansas but City your does that. Is so small, right? What like, is that? You know, let's let's run the you know let's run a wishbone. Like, what might why not? You know, <laughs> well, it, sometimes it feels like they are from uh, oh, well, just how yeah, antiquated I mean, they're, things they're, are. They're attacking the holes on the flank, not down the field, like you know Sid Gilman taught us, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, Ryan. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Yeah, like sometimes you look at these other offenses that are so successful. It's about exploitation. It's about finding the matchup and exploiting it and attacking it, being the aggressor. And it does feel like these Matt Canada offenses are like, for a couple of quarters, they're trying to feel things out and see what's going to work and what isn't. And then eventually they figure something out. You need to be on the offensive, no pun intended, from the beginning. You need to be the aggressor. You need to be attacking and making the defense react to you. And that is, that is something that so many great offenses do in the NFL and in football at all levels that the Steelers don't do a very good job of. 412-928-9370 is that number to call if you want to jump in on the conversation here. I said we'd talk some pit basketball. We just talked to George Michalowski at the top of the hour. So we're going to get back to pit basketball next. Big victory, 100-52 against potentially the worst team in college basketball, but... Their freshman point guard had a triple-double. First guy to have a triple-double for Pitt since Ricardo Greer in 1998. I was a year old. Not to make you feel old out there. We'll talk Pitt Hoops coming up next. It's Kilberger on the fan. Listen to Cook and Joe every Wednesday to hear about Starkey's Card of the Week from Baseball, Card Castle, and Cranberry. Contests run every Wednesday through Friday at noon at the 93.7thefan.com. Contesting page. Fan text line is brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates, a personal injury law firm where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. Kale Berger back with you here on the fan. 100 to 52. That was the margin of victory for Pitt basketball over the North Carolina A&T Aggies last night at the Pete. It was the season opener for the Panthers. The place was rocking. The zoo was there in force. The stars were out to uh, watch the Panthers tip off the 2023-24 season. 
And, uh, man, did they get quite the show. Not only did the Panthers win by a margin of 48, but Bub Carrington, their freshman point guard, burst onto the college basketball scene with a triple-double, the first for a Pitt player since 1998, Ricardo Greer against Villanova. 25 years later, Carlton Bub Carrington with 18 points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists. Leading scorer for the Panthers. He also led them in rebounding and assists as well. Uh, I've never seen a debut like that in my life. Certainly not from a Pitt basketball player. And I was already excited and optimistic about the season. And not to put too much of an emphasis on the win last night, given who they beat. I mean, if you look at like the uh, Ken Palm rankings, North Carolina A&T is one of the worst teams in college basketball. So there's 360 teams in college basketball. North Carolina A&T is 357th. So the according to Ken Palm, the fourth worst team in college basketball. That being said, it's still a triple-double. And the Panthers as a team still looked very, very good. Talking with George at the beginning of the hour, for me it was the roster looks so complementary to each other. You have these big men in the Diaz-Graham twins and Federico Federico, guys that all had experience from playing a year ago. And you have Blake Hinson back, your leading scorer from last season returning. But then you mix it in with this group of guards where you have Ishmael Leggett, who was a productive player at Rhode Island. That's A-10 basketball. Coupled with two freshman guards. And, and the biggest thing for me heading into the season, and as good as as good as they played last night and as excited I am about this team, it really, my opinion really hasn't changed. They will go as their guard play goes. The most important single factor to winning in college basketball is how good is your guard play. Last season, the Panthers had outstanding play out of their guards. They combined for like 45 points a game. Jamarius Burton was like 25 years old or whatever he was. Nike Sabandi was an old guy. Nellie Cummings had been to the NCAA tournament. And you had Greg Elliott knocking down threes. I mean, they had all the bases covered. Everything they would have needed out of their guards, they got out of that group. And you saw where it got them to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Now, that's a lot of production and a lot of experience they now have to replace. Now, Leggett has played a lot of basketball in his career and has been a productive player in a good conference, in a good league. But now, you know, you look at Carrington and, and Jalen Lowe, who comes in as a freshman as well, and it is going to be really contingent on how those guys play on the direction the season goes for the Panthers. Now, if last night is any indication of the type of player that Bub Carrington is, then it's going to be a pretty good year. And Jalen Lowe, you know, he he made two shots. He had four points, three assists. He played 20 minutes last night. He's going to continue to improve and get better. But it's what they can get out of their guard play in a in a tough league, a historic league like the ACC. As they go, this team will go. Now, what I had heard from you know sources inside the program is that what Carrington did last night is pretty much what he's been doing all summer. 
that he has been the best player on the floor. He's been assisting, scoring, rebounding. He has been playing at this level the entire time, and there's no expectation that he won't continue to play like this. And that's really exciting because when's the last time that Pitt had a young point guard like this, a guy that can come in and do it all? But certainly, when was the last time Pitt had a true point guard, like someone that will facilitate offense? Maybe James Robinson? I mean, it's been a while since they had that guy. But I think lost in all of the excitement last night, because certainly Bub Carrington having a triple-double was the headline of the game. But how about Jorge Diaz-Graham? I mean, he's playing some small forward. He's playing some three, and he's doing that at 6'11". But he goes 5-for-5 from the field, 3-for-3 from beyond the arc, 5 rebounds, a block. And Guillermo did more of the dirty work. I mean, he had 2 blocks, a steal, 5 rebounds of his own. He had 5 points. I'm really excited to see what those guys are going to do. They put on some muscle this offseason. They still look, of course, very, very skinny. But, I mean, with the shooting touch from the outside, with the the you know, ability to be a plus rim protector down there. You And you mix them in with Federico, Federico as well. I look at Pitt and I think to myself, you know, why can't they be a team that gets to the NCAA tournament again? Or why why can't they be a team that that finishes... Around here, you like to keep the... Higher than... Sorry, that was the uh, computer here. You know, when the, when the ads start randomly playing on your ESPN box score you're looking at? It was one of those. But they're picked preseason to finish ninth in the ACC. I think they're a better team than that. Now, of course, the great unknown is what are these guards going to do? Well, we're going to find that out, and it's going to be parsed out here throughout non-conference play, and then ultimately when they get into the ACC play as well. But for me, I mean, if those if they continue to play at that level and these guys play up to their caliber and what is expected of them, I think Pitt's going to be a hell of a lot better than ninth in the ACC. And I think it's a credit to Jeff Capel and I probably even a credit to Heather Like as well, athletic director, that she believed in Capel. She knew that he was the right guy to kind of navigate them through what college basketball has become with transfer portal, NIL, and stuff like that. But she, she believed in what he is trying to build and the Panthers were able to build it up to last year. And now for them, they need to find stability. They need to have that staying power. Can you go from building to remaining one of the top programs, a team that is perennially in the NCAA tournament, like they were back in the Jamie Dixon, Ben Hallen years? And so that is the new challenge for Jeff Capel and and his staff and this team, and that is uh, what starts this season. But a lot to like, a lot to be excited about, and very optimistic after the game last night. And I'll reiterate, you got to take it with a grain of salt. This is one of, and I'm no disrespect to the Aggies of North Carolina A&T of the Colonial Athletic Association. They're one of the worst teams in college basketball. But they're all still on scholarship. They're all Division I players too. And you're still going to knock down the shots and make the plays. And uh, that's what Pitt was able to do last night. Fan weather is brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Football season is also truck season at sunchevy.com. 
Tonight, partly cloudy and a little chilly with a low of 38 degrees. Wednesday, a mix of sun and clouds, otherwise pleasant, with a high of 62. Let's dive back into some Steelers talk here. And a number of national media pundits, outlets, have been touting Mike Tomlin as a Coach of the Year candidate. Saying that the job he is doing, he is doing more with less that he should get consideration for the highest honor you can get individually as a head coach. I'm, I think Mike Tomlin has done a good job this year. I think he also is responsible for a lot of the issues that they have. And certainly Mike Tomlin is not a guy that is overcoming a bad situation. And certainly a situation here in Pittsburgh that he is immune from. We'll talk about that coming up next. It's Kale Berger on The Fan.